1 John 1, we'll begin with verse 5. Stand as you are able for the reading of God's Word. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Indeed, Lord, we, we come to you as we are. And everyone in this room has a need before you. We've tried, and it doesn't work in our own strength. And so will you today strengthen us with your word and with your spirit. That's our bottom line need. And so we come to you asking you to teach us and to move us and to mold us to live as your people ought to live, to enjoy you as your people ought to enjoy you. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Be seated. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? For with you is the fountain of life, in your light do we see light. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, 
The Lord will be a light to me. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Eleven verses about light, seven Old Testament, four New Testament, actually all from the Gospel of John. But I could have read to you 275 verses today. 95 from the New Testament. The theme of light as salvation is everywhere in the Scripture. It is everywhere. And through all the Scripture, it's related to the light of the world, which is Jesus. Every time it speaks of the light, it is pointing forward to the one who said, I am that light. It's Jesus. Now, I mentioned last week that John, uh, in addition to encouraging Christians in this, this letter, this general epistle, it's called, an epistle is just a letter, uh, was addressing also the heresies of his day. The Gnostics believed in an impersonal, unapproachable God. And they loved to put things in categories, neat categories. So they would talk about flesh versus spirit, light versus darkness. But, for instance, because they saw flesh as always and completely evil and spirit always and completely good, they were able to justify doing whatever they wanted in the flesh because after all, that's evil as long as your spirit is intact. Now you may say, well, that's weird and it, it is. And yet, they justified doing whatever they wanted in terms of immorality with the flesh. And so we will see as, as John addresses the people of God and also these heretics, correcting them and whatever influence they have had on the people of God correcting that. Because John will have none of it. He will not let the Gnostics steal the idea of light coming into the world as being Jesus and our ultimate need for Christ. Let's look at 
how he begins to address this. And he, be, he, he speaks in this passage, and we're going to see this a lot through the book in terms of light and darkness. But he, he speaks about darkness and basically that the dark way is a hopeless way. Now just picture yourself out, out on uh, you know, a walk somewhere and the sun is going down and you, you've got a, a choice to go down a path that is now getting dark and darker and one that is well lit, where do you go? Well, you ought to go to the one that is well lit. We, would, we, we ought to be attracted to that. But he's basically saying, you know what? There's people that are choosing to go this other way, this dark way. But when you get in there, there is a hopelessness. Because the things that you are struggling with are not addressed by darkness. They are made worse by the darkness. So he speaks about living a lie. Verse 6 If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So this would be a a conditional sentence. We're going to see a lot of this. If this, then that. If you do this, then this is what will happen. Or this is true if you do that. So even in this passage, he says, if we say. He does it three times in this brief passage. Uh, It's likely that these statements were reflecting what the heretics were out there saying, or maybe even some Christians that had been influenced by them. So he presents the statement and then he refutes it. Now, these aren't just straw men. I'm, I'm convinced that these were real things that people we're dealing with. And the reason I'm convinced of it is because people are still dealing with these things. It may not be under the, the heading of, of Gnosticism, but it is a temptation. I'll explain more as we, as we go through this. So in this case, if you say you're a believer and yet walk in the ways of an unbeliever, you're a liar. There you go. Claiming one thing outwardly and living in darkness or, or living a life that's characterized by sin. If you're doing that and you say, yes, but, but I'm a child of God. John calls them out. You lie. You're not only not a child of God, but you are of your father who is the father of lies. The, the, in terms of the Gnostics, I'm not so much worried about the Gnostics in our day. I, I don't meet up with people claiming to be Gnostics. I'm concerned for believers who try to live in two worlds, who who like aspects of the darkness, but they, they want to be a, a child of the light, but they want to walk as close to that darkness as possible and maybe even enter in to that when no one's looking. 
people can cover up what path they're walking. You, you can't look around today and determine what people in our church are, are uh, doing in terms of which path they are walking. We can all be fooled by those things. I have been fooled by those things. And yet God always knows. In our readings this week, in our uh, reading challenge, Jesus said, whatever you've said in the dark will be heard in the light. Whatever you've said in the dark is going to be heard in the light. So today, we do see those who claim to have fellowship with God without seeing any necessity for the cross, for repentance, for trusting in Christ alone for eternal life. Some say, you know what, as, as long as we love other people and we do good deeds, it's okay. Don't talk to me about a cross and about somebody being punished for my sins. There's a second aspect of the dark way, and that's not facing up to our sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's denying our essential nature. It's basically claiming perfection. Now, it's interesting that few people would ever claim that they, they never make mistakes. But many claim that I don't, I don't believe in that sin thing. And why is that? Well, you're not going to believe in sin if you don't believe that God has a standard for us to live by. And so you are rejecting his standard if you say there's no such thing as sin. Proverbs 28:13 Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and for, forsakes them will obtain mercy. So John's saying we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So it's not only not facing up to sin, but even denying that we have ever sinned. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So here John ratchets it up several notches and indicates that it, not only denying that we're, we're, we're sinning, but denying our, our very uh, nature. And w do you see what that's doing? That's basically claiming perfection. Spurgeon said, if we believe that, we're a stranger to our own heart. Isn't that a good way to put it? We just don't know ourselves. We haven't really looked into our, our hearts and come to that conclusion. It's delusional. It's not because we've looked deep and said, you know what, I'm really okay way down deep in there. It's either not being willing to look deep or being willing to delude yourself. Spurgeon also said it, like salt flavors every drop of the Atlantic 
so does sin affect every atom of our nature. So, if that denial is true, then it's like accusing God of being a liar. And that's what John says. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. Uh, So the bottom line, if we say we do not sin, in other words, we don't have a sin problem, then we are saying Jesus going to the cross was unnecessary. How offensive must that be to the Father who gave his one and only to go to the cross for his people, to suffer for them on the cross so that we don't have to suffer for our own sin to pay for it for eternity. And John here also talks about the light. The light gives hope. If we walk in the light, verse 7, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, if you go in a, a jewelry store, a good jewelry store, it's going to be well lit, right? Uh, because, the, you know, they are willing to show you, look, our, our jewelry, you, you don't see any flaws here and it's, it's bright and and you can, you can see the, the beauty of those things. If, you ever, if you're ever looking for, for jewelry and you go into a jewelry store, you know, it probably on the front says discount jewelry or something like that. And you walk in and you say, wow, it's kind of dim in here. You know what? You better turn around and walk out and hold on to your wallet. Because there's a reason for that. Light shows purity and impurity. So, when we walk in the light, we will see our sin even more. Now, you might say, I don't want to see my sin sin even more. But there's a remedy for that, and it's right in this passage. So there's two ways mentioned in this passage of how to walk in the light. Uh, One is facing up to our sin and then letting God deal with our sin. First, facing facing up to our sin, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful and just. So why does it use the term just, meaning justice, why does it use that if he forgives us? Justice usually implies punishment. We tend to think of uh, forgiveness as being mercy, not just. And yes, forgiveness is merciful and grace full, but John is saying that our forgiveness is based upon God being just. How so? Well, do a little theology. Because Jesus went to the cross to pay the wages of sin, which is death. He paid 
for sin with the punishment he took on that cross, not just the physical punishment. That was a part of it. But that wasn't his greatest pain or suffering. His greatest pain and suffering was when the wrath of his father, the wrath of God was poured out on him the wrath that I deserved and you deserved and all of his people of all time, when that was poured out on Jesus on the cross, that was his greatest pain. But that's also where God's justice was satisfied. There on the cross, we see the Father's love in sending Jesus and his justice in Jesus taking our punishment. Both of those were satisfied on the, with the cross. Not ignored, but satisfied. We love to sing songs by the Gettys here. And uh, In Christ Alone is one of our favorite. It was written back in 2001. And every year... Um, the Christian Copyright Licensing International says that's one of the top 20 uh, hymns that is sung by uh, Christians of all stripes, all, all kinds of Christians internationally. But it contains one line in there that one of our United States mainline churches would not put in their new hymn book, they wouldn't put that hymn in the new hymn book because of the line. That line was, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. That denomination liked the hymn. In fact, they appealed to Getty and Townen and said, will you let us change those words and they said, no, you can't change those words. They understood that's at the core of what Jesus did on the cross. God's wrath was satisfied on the cross. His wrath that we deserved. So how do we face up to our sin? Well, our side is to confess our sins, as it says. Notice that's plural, confess sins. So it's not in general. It's not just, uh, please, God, forgive me uh, for any sin I might have committed out there someday, some way, you know, or, or any sin out. You don't do that. Confessing our sins. Being specific. Now, we may not remember them all. But being specific with God. But it's really, really important that we understand this. Don't think that we are forgiven because of the act of confession. It's not what we do that gets us forgiveness, it doesn't earn us anything. 
but rather it's what he did. And real confession implies repentance. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 9 says, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Do you hear that? In other words, I, Paul's saying, I, I'm not happy that you're, you're sad about your sin. That's not what I'm rejoicing about. What I'm rejoicing about is that that grief over your sin led you to repentance. He explains, For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So it's not just saying, yeah, I'm crummy. I'm, I'm mad I got caught. I'm embarrassed. That's not it. That's not repentance. He says, I'm thankful you were grieved in, into repenting. Now, we just had our series on Psalm 51 and spoke about David's sin and how he was confronted by Nathan, and then he repented. And there's always that question, well, you know, would he have even repented if, uh, if, if Nathan had not confronted him? And it, it doesn't matter. God used Nathan to confront him. He sent him there. And it led to real repentance. If the grief is more than embarrassment over getting caught, then it leads to repentance and not just a worldly grief. Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you'll not despise. Now, our, our shorter catechism has a great way of putting it. And uh, if you're writing things down, it's question 87. You can just Google it. And there'll be thousands of, uh, well, maybe a, there'll be a few uh, places you can find it. And the question is, uh, what is repentance unto life? Here's what the Shorter Catechism says. Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, so that's where it starts. You really get it. You say, I, yeah, I get it. I, I've offended God. An apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. So you realize how you've sinned, but you're also saying, but you know what? I, I know that God has shown his mercy in Christ. So does with grief and hatred of his sin. So that should be our attitude toward our sin. Not just being mad at myself, but grief over our sin. Hating that sin does turn, turn from it and unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. The classic illustration You've, if you've been in church for very long, you've seen this. The idea is this. Here, here's the sin. And you despise it. You hate it. You're grieving over it. And, and God is here, and you know how merciful he is. 
And so you turn. You completely turn. Not like this, longing to be back over there. But you completely turn to the merciful one. And, and at that time, saying, I'm not going back there. Now, you may end up going back there. But you can't do it saying, yeah, I'll, I'll go to him for now, but I am going back. But rather you're saying, I've turned. And I'm leaving that behind. That's repentance unto life. Secondly, walking in light is trusting God to deal with our sin. Uh, he has said in this passage, and the blood, in, in verse 7, the second part, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jeremiah 31, 34, for I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. And that brings us to the applications. And that is that God's forgiveness never fails. That's easy to say. But let me tell you how sometimes it comes out when we're not really believing that God's forgiveness never fails. Sometimes it comes out this way. If you've repented, really repented, like we just talked about, but you're struggling with forgiving yourself. You're not believing God's promises. It's hard to hear, but it's true. Listen to his promises again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So what's the answer if I've done that, if I'm still struggling and I realize, okay, I guess I'm not believing that. Ask forgiveness for not believing God's promises. That's where you go. Ask God to forgive you for not believing what he has said. And he showed and demonstrated on the cross in Jesus. And then our only hope for forgiveness is Jesus Christ. It's the other application. No one can cover their own sin from God's perspective. Did you get that? You can cover up your own sin. But from God's perspective, you cannot and it is not covered in terms of our eternal life. No rationalization can remove guilt. It only pushes it away for a moment. No counseling can remove guilt unless it points to Christ and the cross. No other world religions can remove guilt. They will say, well, just work harder. Only God can remove the guilt of sin based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together.
thank you, Lord, that you, you receive us just as we are. We would never be received if that wasn't the case. Thank you for the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And now, Lord, help us to believe you that that was enough that we, we mustn't try to add to it. We can't add to it. It's all about what Jesus did. But thank you for that. Help us to live in light of that as children of yours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.